This is a HeadGum Podcast. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Tig? Cheryl. We <laughs> cover a lot in this. We do. And yet not much at all. And we don't cover much at all. But there are some high highs and low and lows. Low it, lows. It's deep. It's, it's serious. Deep. We've got it's a- fun at times. Accents. There are, there's a, hey, you know, there's a Cajun hey, accent. Meat- uh, that, oh, it's Italiano, oh. it turns out. <laughs> a meatball. Um, let's get right into let's it. Let's get right into it. I have a call I have to get okay. on. Okay. Well, sorry to keep you from other Cheryl? things. Cheryl? Yes? Cheryl, I um, love you. I Tig, I love you. Um, ladies and jerks, Cheryl. welcome to Cheryl. I love you. Roadrunner, a film about Anthony Bourdain. I love you. I love you too. It all started when Tig and Cheryl met in the mid-2000s. Hey, nice to meet you, Tig. I'm Cheryl Hines. Hi, Cheryl. I'm Tig Notaro. Should we do a podcast about documentaries? Yes. A podcast about documentaries? Is this microphone on? Five furious frogs fiddling faintly. Furious frogs fiddling faintly. Five furious frogs faintly. I am the first ever podcast. And Tig and Cheryl are following in the sound of my footsteps. Let's get started. I'm so ready. Tig and Cheryl. True story. Tig. Cheryl. Uh, are you a snurkball? Oh. Uh, I hope you know the right answer to this. Oh, God. Because you're supposed to say, you bet your sweet ass I am. Oh, God. <laughs> don't you listen. Don't you pay attention to this show at all? <laughs> I've told you I do. I just don't listen to you. <laughs> you only listen to your part. <laughs> When I come on, you turn down the volume and then you turn it back up. I would never have remembered for the rest of my life the you bet your sweet ass I am. Well, now you have to remember it. Well, if I'm told something a couple of times, it's helpful. But there's too much information. Coming at you. It's all coming at you. But I mean, don't you feel that way? Like, How do people remember things? I don't know how they remember things. I honestly don't. Do you have a good memory? No, I have a terrible memory. And now I'm at the point where, (laughs) this is so stupid. I don't know. I was on a real cookie kick last night. And I. What do you mean? Just like eating cookies? Yeah. That's just called binging. Okay. I was on a cookie binge. But you're trying to make it sound sweet. Well, uh, (laughs) sweet. By saying I was on a cookie kick. (laughs) Well, somebody in my house had bought these like 
Italian wedding cookies, uh-huh. which I can't resist. And mm-hmm. so I thought I had put two on an, on a napkin. Uh-huh. And, then when, and then I did some stuff around the kitchen. And when I came back to the napkin, <laughs> they were gone. And I was like, oh, my God, I guess I ate them. But I didn't even remember eating them. Wait. Yeah, this is bad. This is like, this Did is you eat them? I have no idea. But then I <laughs> ate more. <laughs> and then in the middle of the night, I got up to let the dogs out and I ate the rest of them. Wait a minute. <laughs> I know. Wait, that's not yeah. a cookie kick. That is that's not. a problem. Yes. No, I know. It's a problem. You didn't look around to see if you had crumbs on your face. I did. Or- I looked around. <laughs> There's no To be fair, you have a lot of traffic in and out of your house. So there's a lot of people. It could have been. Yeah. I don't know. But you were for sure the one that got up and ate the rest of the cookies in the middle of the night. That I know for sure. That was you. There's no question. You caught yourself in action. (laughs) Because I I decided, oh, I'll just get two. Uh And then I decided, well, might as I'll well finish have them some off. more. And yeah. then there were only seven left. So I was like, right. nah, fuck it. I'll just do the seven. <laughs> I'm, off. I mean, I'm on a cookie kick. Why stop the I, cookie kick now? I couldn't sleep last night. And I don't know if it's because I watched this documentary right before I went to sleep. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that was part of it. And let me ask you something. Yeah. Do you, I, and I can't remember if I've asked you this, but do you <laughs> sleep well? No. I used okay. to be a great sleeper. If somebody could grab the audio of us talking about this previously, because <laughs> I'm about to launch into what I'm sure was the next part of it. Oh, wait. Which if, is... If you talk about breathing. No, no. We've done it. Which okay. we've... Okay. I don't even remember that. But <laughs> um, <laughs> if you don't sleep well, it yeah. is damaging to your memory. Oh, okay. Do you remember us ever talking about this? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I, in the past couple of years, you know, my, my sleeping has, has gotten bad. And, uh, I was just telling Stephanie this morning that I went to bed at nine 30 and woke up at three this morning and I'm so used to sleeping terribly that waking up at three, I'm just like, Oh good. So I got, I got like six hours of sleep last night. And so I'm fine to be up at three in the morning. So you, you, you know woke what I up mean? at three? Oh, yeah. I've been up since three. And I'm just fine with it because as long as I've gotten between five to seven hours of sleep. You feel great. That's good yeah. for me. And it doesn't matter what time of the night it is. Mm. And I'm not picky about having to get up early. And um, What do you do at 3.30 in the morning? I'll do some work. I'll uh, catch up on emails that you I, hit the ha- I seem like I'm on cocaine, I'm oh. sure, to some people <laughs> because I just start, you know, shooting like, off emails at weird. I'm sure Thomas has gotten emails at weird hours of the night or very early in the morning. And it's funny when I talk to people that are like, well, you know, we could schedule you for this appointment, but I mean, it's it's at like 8.30 in the morning. I'm like, <laughs> I'm ready for lunch at 8.30 in the morning. That's your wheelhouse. Yeah. Remember, I used to be able to sleep for like 12, 14 hours. Me yeah, too. Right? Me too. And then something happens, you get older, and then one day you wake up and you're in pain from sleeping. And you're like, when, when did sleeping become painful? <laughs> What's happened? <laughs> My friend Shannon's mother, who is probably 
And Maxine, my apologies if you're listening, hey, which Maxine, I doubt hey. you are. But if you are, I also highly doubt that you would care. Hey, Maxine, hey. And by the way, we named my cat, our cat, uh, Fluff Maxine Aww, after that's Maxine. That's very sweet. But we just call her Fluff. But Maxine is, I would guess she is 76. Okay. She was my mother's very good friend. Shannon, who is Maxine's daughter, my good friend, we're roughly the same age, maybe a year apart. We have aches and pains and issues <laughs> with our body. Yeah. When we were talking about it, Maxine, who is uh, Cajun, and I know you don't think I do a Cajun a good accent. Cajun I accent, can't wait to hear it. She's like, uh-oh. Uh, we, we said, Maxine, what about you? Do you have, she goes, do I have any pain in my body? Oh. <laughs> do I have, I'm trying to think when I'm lying down in bed, do I have any pain in my body? <laughs> I couldn't think of a thing. She's 76 years old. Couldn't think of a single pain. Not a single pain. That she, that at she... 76. And this woman parties, this woman. She, uh, maybe that's it. But I mean, she but is you would think up that she first would wake thing in the morning. With, you know, oh, a hangover not a or something. thing. Not, not no, a problem. She, she gets going first thing in the morning. She, <laughs> she gets she, back at it. <laughs> she cooks all day long. All day on, she, on her feet. she still works. She's, she's just, not she, not oh, a, I can't think. Do, you, do, I, do I have any pain? Well, yeah, if you have to think about it, you're doing okay. Yeah, then you are fine. The fact that it's never come up, that your brain isn't constantly going, oh my God, I'm exhausted. Oh my God, I'm tired. I'm in pain. Oh my, Maxine's like, do, do I, I have any pain? pain? I don't think, no, I don't have any pain. <laughs> well, maybe when you hit 76, it all disappears. That's what I'm banking on. Mm, I don't think Maxine mm-hmm. has felt any pain. In, no pain. I'm going to do this Cajun the whole episode. Please, God, don't. Um, Maxine would have been great for this episode, by the way, with all of her Cajun cooking. and Oh, she could you. have really added some spice. Good night, everybody. Good morning. <laughs> Three in the morning. <laughs> I, I spent many, many a day growing up as a kid, saddling up to Maxine's uh, bar there in her kitchen as she would stir her gumbo. Oh, no, please. Stir in her gumbo. No, Not an ache in her body. I can't. I don't know. Do you think Maxine would, would listen to you and say, oh, yeah, that sounds just like me? <laughs> we should call her sometime. Oh, my God. That would be a fun conversation with you and your accent and Maxine. Yeah. I would I'm like to hear that. Maxine. Okay, Tig. Okay. Today we are talking about Roadrunner. Mm-hmm. It's a film about Anthony Bourdain. And it's a 2021 documentary directed by Morgan Neville. Neville? Neville. No way to know. Who previous films... Include Won't You Be My Neighbor and 20 Feet from Stardom. Roadrunner, filmed only two years after Anthony's death, features conversations with those close to him, as well as extensive archival footage of Anthony and his travels around the globe. Roadrunner debuted at Tribeca and is available to watch on various streaming services. This was really pretty fantastic. Yeah. Were you a an Anthony Bourdain uh, not really fan? Or, I mean, if, you didn't, if truth be told, you weren't against him. I wasn't against him. I was just like, nah, I don't care about food that much. You don't care about food that much, even if somebody is stirring a gumbo. <laughs> <It's> a <laughs> Maxine, <laughs> just, 
I would have some of Maxine's gumbo and I would love it. Wait, how can you sit here and say you don't care about food that much when you just talked about waking up in the middle of the night <laughs> and eating and- wedding cookies? Well, I don't need to watch it. That's not my idea of entertainment. Uh-huh. But you enjoy eating it. Yes. Wow. First of all, you know how you don't have you don't like the word pet peeve or the two words pet peeve. But I also don't like the word foodie. No, I don't like foodie. <laughs> that I mean, I can love food and and but have you'll a never say, taste. "Oh, I'm a, I'm a foodie." Can you picture me saying, <laughs> "Cheryl, you know me. I'm a but foodie. I'm a but foodie. truly, can you picture me saying that? Mm, I guess not. But if you said it, I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> because people, you know, sometimes people introduce themselves as, oh, and I'm a foodie. It's like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> um, but, and people that love wine. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people that just love, very passionate about certain things. Which is great. I'm just not Look, that. I am, you know, very passionate about plant-based yes. food. But is there a word for that? Vegan. <laughs> Vegan enthusiast. Yeah. I think I took more of an interest in food after I became plant-based because I find it even more creative. I think cooking is such an art on its own. And then when you... When it becomes plant-based, I just, it blows my mind what can be done. I am fascinated with people who are so passionate about cooking. Like when I was watching this documentary, I was thinking, I can't imagine not wanting to do something more than cooking for people all night long. Well, it's interesting because Stephanie, she does the majority of the cooking in our house. Um, When I'm in town... I you try. Put the, how dare you? <laughs> I mean, how can I possibly try when I'm in New York? Okay. You can't. I can't. I can't. You can only be there in spirit. Right. But when I'm in town, I do their lunches and take pride in putting their little plant-based meals together. Mm-hmm. But what Stephanie loves more than anything yeah. is cooking for big groups. Oh my God. She loves it for holidays or parties. I also don't understand that because there are only so many burners on your stove, right? And if you have a lot of people, this is what I just, Thanksgiving is just like a real shit show. You only have like so many burners. You have 25 people out there and you're supposed to have everything hot at the same time. It's just, it's very stressful. (laughs) Well, that's why we make cold meals. Everything is room temperature and cold. That's what I like, too. I like just a cold, just something that can sit out on the counter all day long and just get it when you want it. I'm not, I can't serve you. I'm not. Who wants a ketchup sandwich? (laughs) Do you want it cut in squares or uh, triangles? Happy Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, no, Stephanie, she thrives. She, I mean, mama's in the kitchen. 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 Ashton Kutcher. Oh, my. Oh. He's infiltrated. Tig has okay. a thing for yes. I already told you. I thought his face was the most perfect thing I'd ever seen in my life when the first time I saw him. What about his body? You don't care about that? No, his body is tremendous. I mean, yeah. but if somebody was like, here, I'm going to cut his head off, I, I would walk <laughs> around with his head. 
<laughs> you'd, leave, you'd leave this. I would choose the head over the body. So you take the head or the body. <laughs> well, listen, all I'm saying is mama's in the kitchen cooking at six in the morning, she oh starts. God. And thank God for people that, that like thank to you, do God. it. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Dear God, thank you you for my wife. (laughs) (laughs) Who likes to cook for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so getting back to Anthony Bourdain. Mm -hmm. So he he was a very passionate chef. Mm -hmm. I was going to say cooker, but I don't think anyone wants to be called a cooker. Cooker in the (laughs) kitchen. (laughs) He was a very passionate cooker in the kitchen. Yeah. And, you know, although I am not somebody that does much more than put things together i think my specialty is i can whip something up with really random ingredients and Mm. i can i can make things happen okay it is Mm -hmm. and i do feel like we've talked about that on this (laughs) podcast (laughs) doesn't matter does not matter nothing matters especially this podcast um (laughs) oh my god but i it is it's fun to see somebody it makes you interested in something when they are passionate yes. about something you don't have an interest in yeah. that yeah. you're not passionate about. And you're like, whoa, this guy will literally travel to the ends of the earth for food. Well, I think that was his appeal, right? Of course. And, um, and what our appeal is, is that <laughs> we do a podcast about documentaries mm-hmm. and barely discuss them. The documentary at all. Which brings me to the fact that we must give our listeners a break now. <laughs> and we will be back to talk about Roadrunner. Okay. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset, hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind. With Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And we're back. We're back. Okay. We are back. So I'm, so getting right into it. Mm. Jeez. So <laughs> in, in 1999, Anthony Bourdain wrote a book called Kitchen Confidential while he was working at Les Halles. Is that how you would say it? Less Listen, hours. anytime you try to pronounce something, I just <laughs> leave you be. It's one of my favorite parts of the show and why I wake up at 3 a.m. And he, and it becomes a bestseller because he's very, he was very um, artful with words, mm-hmm. I would find. And he was a good writer. So he had a friend, he was writing his friend emails from 
Where was he? China or Japan? No way to know. There's and- no way to know. <laughs> we both saw the documentary. <laughs> There's, no There's an outline. <laughs> he went everywhere. Anyway. But he was writing these um, very He was not in the States. <laughs> he was abroad. <laughs> that's what, that's how you fix that. You have to he think was, quickly he and general. say he was he was abroad. <laughs> he was abroad, and he was writing these very interesting emails to his friend. And his friend had a wife who was a book editor or publisher. Also, she was in the book business. And he said, "Hey, what do you think about these emails?" And she said, "Oh my gosh, this should be a book." And from that came Kitchen Confidential. And mm-hmm. in this book, he like tells some secrets of the kitchen, like mm-hmm. uh, like at restaurants, they recycle the bread. He said that he knows that if somebody doesn't touch the bread, then somebody from the wait staff or the bus staff will take it back to the kitchen and then they'll give it to the next people. Well, yeah. And I've also heard that with um, tortilla oh, no. chips. No. Yeah. <laughs> I've heard that. That they just dump it back in the in the pot in the and mix it around. Yeah. yeah. And then <laughs> wait, the pot? The tortilla chip pot? Where's the tortilla chip pot spoon? I have to stir the the chip pot. I mean, I, I did plenty of waitressing in my day. Oh, Braggadocious oh. alert. <laughs> Braggadocious alert! <laughs> That's really bragging. But I did know, I re- do remember seeing one cocktail waitress who would, <laughs> I shouldn't even say this. What? And I've probably said it already. Um, <laughs> she would take a sip of somebody's drink before she gets to the- <laughs> Oh my gosh. And deliver it with lipstick marks <laughs> yes. on it. I was like, oh my God. This is, I mean, it's just a crapshoot when you go anywhere. You know what? My feeling is, mm-hmm. as a germaphobe, yeah. I don't want to see that. But if I don't see it, I'm just going to have... Uh, it have didn't happen. I'm gonna, yeah. If it tastes delicious, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm just going to I'm yeah. just gonna eat it. You just just stir the it. pot of chips and bring me... <laughs> just put them back into the big pot, <laughs> stir it around, and But wait, let's be clear. Yes. If you're listening to this and you have a restaurant... And you heard me say that, and you see me come in, and you're like, oh, she doesn't care. And you start touching my food and drinking my drink. I'm not asking you to do that. But if you do it, don't tell her. That's what you're asking. But don't do it. Don't do it. Do it to Cheryl. (laughs) Don't do it to me. Um, Anyway, Anthony Bourdain. So he writes this book. It becomes a bestseller. Mm-hmm. And I mean, at this time in his life, he could barely pay his rent, mm-hmm. you know, but he was working every every night as a chef at a seafood restaurant. And um, the next thing you know, he's on Oprah and David Letterman. And then Bradley Cooper plays him in a movie. Can I just tell you, I am surprised to say I related so much to Anthony Bourdain. In what way? I just feel like I scraped by and didn't see much of a future for myself in life and just struggled in a lot of different ways and I just I did I don't know I just didn't think certain things were could possibly be in the cards for me mm-hmm. and so I just didn't really pursue stuff like that mm-hmm. you know and then it came to you 
But here's the thing, too, that I'm sure you have in common with him. I also smoked a lot. Oh, man, there was a lot of smoking going on in this film. Yeah, a lot of smoking. Um, Some people will say, oh, I got lucky, and then I got Mm -hmm. lucky. But it's not really a matter of luck because just like Anthony Bourdain, he was working really hard. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you worked really hard. So you were working really hard when nobody was – paying attention to you or asking you to no. work so hard. But, no. And then, no. And then, you know, you found success. And the same? No. Oh, not at all. Okay, what happened? But you're, you're talking about after I started comedy. I'm talking about he was on somewhat of his path in that he was cooking. cooking. But, I mean, even getting a job at a, a restaurant it didn't even seem like that was what he he was saying he wasn't like some great cook and he, it seemed like he right. just got a job right you know which is kind of how I was fumbling through my life where I was I was getting jobs I was doing jobs and I would do the jobs but I wasn't on any sort of track the only time I started to kind of feel like I got on track was when I started to work in the music business and mm. it felt like oh I love music and it's entertainment my deep deep dream was to do comedy but even when I started to and I fell into moving to LA with my childhood friends and so I started to do open mics but even when I was doing open mics I wasn't thinking that there was any world that anybody would want to hear from me or that I would have success or that I would pursue that. That being said, though, were you working hard writing comedy and going to to open mics and working on it? Once I started, I was very passionate and I went on stage seven nights a week and I mm-hmm. was writing constantly and I was trying new material and mm-hmm. I was I was submerged, completely mm-hmm. submerged. But I still didn't think... I would be on Somebody's going to pay you to do it. No, <laughs> no. Oh, my God. I thought I was a raging success by doing an open mic. Right. Was, well, they let me do three minutes. Yeah, I was thrilled. I mean, that's what it, it's really interesting about this documentary to watch because there's so much footage of him even before yes. he was successful. So much. It was interesting and sort of odd to me because yeah. even back then, like, people didn't have cameras on their cell phones and stuff like that it was like I don't know how he had so much footage of himself in the kitchen and in the early days but it was really interesting and very oddly I also have so much footage of my open micer days when nobody had oh my gosh I filmed everything I had a video camera. Like one of those giant video cameras? And you no, not with- one where you're carrying a VCR <laughs> on your shoulder, but close. I mean, it was it was a good size video camera, and I got it when I started doing open mics, and I filmed myself all the time because I wanted to see my progression. Mm. And did you actually watch them? I would. I would do my three or five minute open mic, and then I'd go home and I'd watch it, and I would see... Because I realized I had, I saw myself on camera and I realized I wasn't forming or, or acting or looking the way I thought in my head that yeah. I was. And then I thought, oh, it's not just important for me to hear the audio of my jokes. I wanted to see my actual performance. Mm-hmm. And that, I feel like, helped me catch up to myself mm-hmm. quicker mm-hmm. in my... Um, on stage presence and yeah, how people and, perceive and, you. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, and your voice. Well, it's interesting because back in my acting class days, one mm. of our assignments, we had to go out to a crowded, you know, plaza or something. And then you would, you had a um, checklist of all these different adjectives that would describe someone and you would hand it to a stranger and you would say, how would you describe me? Check off like five. To a stranger? Yes, to a stranger. So the point was, <laughs> we see ourselves like if somebody said describe yourself, you would describe yourself in a certain way. And then if somebody just looked at you, they would say, oh, she's, you know, X, Y, That's and so Z. That's so fascinating. It was a very interesting exercise because it's like, oh, because I, I remember, don't make me tell you again that I grew up without money. Hey, happy days. Wait. Hey. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do recall you being too poor to afford to watch happy days. But... But when I was doing this exercise, the, a lot of the time people thought that I came from money or I was wealthy mm -hmm. or I, and I don't know why I, there was nothing about, in my mind, there was nothing about me that, you know, I'm like wearing flip-flops and a mini skirt and a two top. <laughs> the very flip-flops that your mother spanked you with down there in Florida. <laughs> But it's interesting, right? Because then, you, mm. because, and the whole idea of that exercise as an actor is those are the roles that you're going to get cast in because that's how people perceive you. Mm. It was an interesting exercise in life, too, because it's like, oh, that's how people. You and I should go do that now. <laughs> we should go to a mall <laughs> with a list of adjectives. Yeah, in Iowa oh or gosh, somewhere. It would be so great and just see what we come back with. Yeah. She reminds me of my uncle. Mm. <laughs> Wait, are you talking about me <laughs> or you? About me. Um, okay, listen, you. we got to get back to Bourdain. Uh, this, I mean, this is a great documentary, and we've done. But it before we do, zero we have to give our listeners another break. <laughs> Apologies if anyone's frustrated or new mm -hmm. to the show. I'm but frustrated. This is how it goes. This is how it goes. <laughs> we'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And we are back. Okay, one thing I want to say. 
Mm. I did Google Anthony Bourdain after this, which Cheryl. I very rarely do. What was it like Googling? <laughs> what was it like getting information? You know why? I really wanted to know what the bread story was. They kept talking about the bread story, and I was like, what was the bread story? Anyway, but I also found out that he went to Vassar and dropped oh. out after two years and, and it started Look working. at that. I'm a dropout too. <laughs> you guys, so similar. I dropped out of eighth grade though. So. <laughs> oh yeah, eighth grade. That's fascinating. Well, I didn't, I dropped out in ninth grade. I dropped oh. out of ninth grade. I failed eighth grade three times and then dropped out of ninth grade. <laughs> But anyway, we're just alike. Me the and the guy from Vassar. Person in yes, I I tell people I was looking around. <laughs> I remember I was looking around one class of mine and thinking, okay, I used to babysit that girl. <laughs> I can't be in class with her anymore. That is so crazy because I remember like eighth grade and there was always one guy that had an almost a mustache, and you were like, that was that- me. <laughs> True. There that was guy. always some guy with a mustache in class you like, when you're in you sixth in grade. A, how can you be in middle school? What has happened to you? What what sort of whole milk are is your mom bringing home? <laughs> okay, listen. After this Kitchen Confidential, I can't believe we're thirty minutes into it and we haven't even gotten to. Have you not heard our show? <laughs> So he started a um, TV show. What was it called? On the Road or no? <laughs> Let's say it was called On the Road. <laughs> it can't be it. A, a cook's cook- tour. <laughs> it's called A Cook's Tour. Yeah, I hope we edit that out. Because- Let's call it, um, what was it called? Um <laughs> Uh, driving around with Anthony Bourdain and eating food? Let's call it that. Let's call it driving around uh, in a car with Anthony Bourdain and eating food. I like that. We'll just fill in the blanks ourselves. Um, But he was reborn by this experience. Mm. He really loved traveling to different parts of the world, meeting. And he hadn't traveled many places. Right. Yeah. So he his whole experience had been reading books and and watching movies and he was he had a romantic idea of people of travel of the world mm. although when you say romantic idea it makes him sound like a soft and sweet person which I don't think that's how people would have described him No but I mean I feel like it it's just the same it feels like how Bob Dylan romanticized Right. Certain artists like that where you you go, there's rough edges. Right. So so when he was traveling, he started experiencing in some parts of the world, you know, there was one scene in there where he, they were doing the show and food was so scarce there Mm -hmm. that Anthony said, okay, let's distribute all this food that we have left over. And people Mm -hmm. started fighting over it. And, uh, you know, it was a realization with Anthony that, oh, food can mean something completely different to, to different people. Because this is, mm-hmm. they were just fighting over trying to, to eat that day, not yeah. over, you know, what wine we're going to pair with whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And it really started to affect him. And people started to describe him as being political 
which he never described himself as, but this show ended up growing into something much bigger than just food. It was about the people. It was about what's happening in that part of the world, in that country, in that village, wherever he was. And he was very authentic about it. Mm-hmm. And that, that's why people really were drawn to him. Mm-hmm. And he was with his first wife for like t- 27 years or 30 years or something. A good chunk of time. Yeah. And then he he ended up getting divorced. He was also a recovered uh, heroin addict. Yeah, that's important to talk about. Which is also a part major element. Yeah, uh, part of his story and his, um, I think probably, obviously, what shaped him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can't not be affected by that. Yeah, and he was, he pretty much traveled alone. Mm-hmm. And he seemed to like it. Mm-hmm. And then he met this woman, Otavia Busia, <laughs> you're welcome, um, became his second wife. And she was awfully cute. The other thing about him, as much as he had his rough edges and was this recovered or recovering, I don't even know how, it, whatever, heroin addict, he also romanticized love and family and having a normal life. Right. He really wanted to be normal. Mm-hmm. And then when he met Otavia... They got married, they had a daughter, and he was so happy. Mm-hmm. You know, there's even footage of him saying, I was the most happy when I was cooking hot dogs on the grill outside. Yeah, like the all-American dad. And again, again, yes. very much something I relate to. I really wanted that, you know, that... Family, the the love, the... Yeah, Normalcy. I have dated. Yeah, I've I've dated many people, and I I I just always wondered if that was out there in the world for me, and I couldn't believe I found it. And it is something that is so appealing to me. Although I do have this other side where I travel alone and I mm-hmm. go out into the world, and I've and I do love that side. But I I love this life that I that I I can't believe that I have and that's what I really related to with him I know but I wonder if that's the only thing you did was you know Uh cook cook hot dogs on the grill you personally I mean do you Mm -hmm. think you would go crazy would you be like oh I gotta get on a plane I gotta go meet some people I've never seen before or whatever that is I think that before the pandemic Mm -hmm. I started to tell Stephanie listen you could take it from here because, you know, her career's really taking off and she's doing well. And I I was like, if I would stay home and I would be completely fine. And, and she was saying, oh, I, I would love to kind of take it from here. And then while we were home in the pandemic, I started to have a more realistic idea of my life and my family. And that's that I love what I do mm-hmm. in my career and I love, I love it mm-hmm. and I love my family mm-hmm. and I love how things are. Mm-hmm. I'm not cut out to just stay home mm-hmm. and be a full-time parent, yeah. but I am cut out to be a parent and yeah. I am cut out to have the life I have, Yeah. Um, but the realistic reality of it is that I don't want to give up all the 
things that you yeah. work I, because it brings you happiness and then it makes you mm-hmm. who you are and then it makes you a happy person which makes you a better parent yeah that's what I always think too I always think as a parent your kids need so much love and attention and at the same time you have to be the person that you started out <laughs> as yeah. before you had kids because you've got to bring that to them otherwise right. it's just like they're gonna see somebody who's you know given up or given up all of their life ju- mm-hmm. just for the and I don't want to say just for the kids because that's not fair because kids are everything but you know kids grow up and then you move out and then you're still a person and then so it's all about balance but I, I hear yeah. what you're saying and I'm the same way I love working I love mm-hmm. meeting other people I work with it makes me happy it makes me a better parent in person so anyway back to anthony he starts getting more famous and now he's traveling 250 days out of the year Mm -hmm. and his marriage breaks up and you know he's he's starting to he's he's searching he's searching for something but he doesn't even know what he's searching for Mm -hmm. and then so he's doing this show for a long time. Then he starts doing the show for CNN, Parts, what's that one called? Parts Unknown. Parts yeah, unknown. Parts Unknown. And he's still, you know, searching, soul searching. And then he meets, in 2016, he meets uh, a woman named Aja mm-hmm. Argento. An actress. Who he calls crazy Italian actress. Yeah. And predicts that their relationship will end badly. And it tr- it ends up being a... A toxic relationship, I think, is fair to say. Yeah. I mean, I you get bits and pieces of it, but I didn't fully get a total vibe of the toxicity. Well, yeah, I didn't either. I mean, until they were shooting a show Mm -hmm. and they were in Hong Kong and the director had kidney stones. No, that's not it. But something along those lines. No way to know. Would just I would just say health issues. <laughs> say health issues. Yeah, and, health issues. Uh, had to leave, and so Anthony thought it would be great for Aja Her to direct. To direct, and that's when the wheels really came off. And yeah, and Anthony ended up firing his beloved cameraman who had worked for him for a the long DP. time. DP. Right? I, uh-huh. Someone in the camera industry. Cinematographer is what they are. (laughs) Yes, let's say cinematographer. Yeah. And then the crew started uh, really, I mean, it was interesting too because the whole philosophy and persona of Anthony Bourdain was being a genuine person. Mm -hmm. And if the cameras caught it, they caught it, but he wasn't going to, you know, produce something for the camera. But Uh when they were doing this, he's talking to these two men Mm -hmm. a deep conversation and one of them starts to say the sentence about hope i think anthony said something like what do you hope for and he said i don't believe in hope Mm -hmm. and then aja i'm assuming the director said oh let's we have to re we have to reshoot that let's move the table over because it doesn't look quite right and you know it was a clear indicator of what was happening yeah she was clearly artistically trying to do something different i saw that and i understood that i think the part of me i chalked all of that up to that was a poor decision yeah to put her in that position obviously because the wheels came off but aside from that i didn't um 
see what was. Well, I know because they seemed happy. I didn't see the toxicity. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, because sometimes people don't work well together or you haven't seen her in this kind of job and she made bad decisions. Right. But that wasn't indicating to me that it was toxic. I believe it. I just didn't really right. see it. I, I agree with you on that. I do. Then there was a whole a section about the Me Too movement, and she was very involved in the Me Too movement. And then he became very involved in the Me Too movement uh-huh. um, because of her, which is also understandable. He loved her, and she went through something traumatic, and he was supporting her. So it's also it becomes very personal. Yeah, and he's just madly in love with this woman, seemingly. Mm-hmm. And then at some point. There were tabloid photos that came out of Aja and another man. Obviously, wh- while they were together and they were in a committed relationship, I'm assuming. I'm assuming, right? but it's that also wasn't because that 100 clear. I wasn't quite was it? clear. Yeah, I wasn't clear on that. But whether they were in a committed relationship or not, he was obviously madly in love with her, and yes. she and that was devastating to see. Yeah, her, her yeah. with with another man and he he was very depressed and he was shooting in France with his friend Eric Rippert Mm -hmm. who's in the film a lot he's another chef who Anthony idolized and got to be good friends with Mm -hmm. um and they were in France and uh, Anthony took his own life Mm -hmm. and hanged himself which is devastating to people people um of course and also at the same time completely unfair to you you can't blame a suicide on somebody else so it's Mm -hmm. it's difficult because it comes from a very deep place and it's not a it's not because of a photo of somebody Mm -hmm. you know that's unfair to say Mm -hmm. even though suicide is such a complicated subject that it's hard to make sense of it so people try Mm -hmm. to make sense of it and then they try to assign a reason to it and it's it's impossible Mm -hmm. it and even um one of anthony's friends says you know we'll never really know what he was feeling or thinking well and that's the thing is you won't ever really know. No, no. And what I've heard also about suicide is that people think that it's this planned action and that what I've heard is oftentimes it's very much in the moment. Like that mm-hmm. it's not like you've been working towards this moment and this action for days or weeks. That... <sighs> it will sometimes come over somebody Mm -hmm. in an emotional burst Mm -hmm. and and it will happen. Mm -hmm. And I found that really interesting. I mean, obviously it's some instability or building distress and Mm -hmm. issues maybe over years or a lifetime, but the actual decision and action can oftentimes be not planned and thought out yeah I mean I think every situation is unique Mm -hmm. because I I, my experience with 
has has been that um because I had one of my best friends committed or died by suicide I guess that's what we're saying yeah and he had talked about it beforehand so Mm -hmm. uh I think it just depends like person to person and oh and and that's what I'm 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 saying right that maybe you maybe somebody has considered it but then in a in a time, a desperate time, or a, a dark the, moment. Because people will say, "I was just with them yesterday, and we were laughing," right. and, and it's like they might not have known right, that right. the next day they were going to do this. Right, right. They might not have known that. Right. But also, I mean, that's true about death and dying, anyway, isn't it? We yeah. don't, we don't know when yeah. it's going to happen, and you'll see somebody one day, and then you. And then the next day they're gone and, and you have, you know, and what you're left with is all the memories and the time that you had together. Whoo, we're getting deep. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've lost very sadly many people mm-hmm. in that way. And I think that what is the most upsetting, I can't say the most, but it's one of the most upsetting things to me is when anybody says that it is a selfish act. Mm-hmm. I think that's so unfair because uh, there's no person in that amount of pain that is being selfish. And I understand that they're leaving loved ones and mm-hmm. children and a, an entire life behind, but it is truly through the darkest lens mm-hmm. that others potentially cannot obviously can't understand Mm -hmm. I think when it's described as selfish Mm -hmm. that that doesn't resonate with me I agree with that because what happens when somebody dies close to you people take it personally I can't believe this Mm -hmm. happened whether Mm -hmm. it's suicide or whether it's a heart attack or whatever it is you just you're shocked by it and you're often mad about it Mm -hmm. you know at least Mm -hmm. for a little while so I think in the case of suicide I think it's people want to move to that place to once again Mm -hmm. put the blame on somebody even if it's that person Mm -hmm. just to have an outlet Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so we'll give ourselves you know we'll give everybody a moment to just listen love the one that's next to you because we don't know how long we have with them but we know that we'll have these these memories and these thoughts for the rest of our lives. So if you're with somebody you love, please tell them how much you love them. Tell me. Oh, no, I, no, I wasn't talking about you. Um, Tig, are you? <laughs> oh, Tig, I love you. And are you ready for our, some final thoughts? That didn't feel very heartfelt, oh. Cheryl. I want you to say it. I want you to say it to me. I won't. <laughs> Tig, it's time for Happily Ever After Thoughts, where we give our final thoughts on this week's documentary. Did you cry? I did not. I didn't either. I felt emotional. It was emotional, but it was very and and it was it was a long movie, but it didn't feel long. No, it didn't. It was visually stunning. I thought. Yeah, and it was very. I felt very much invested. Yeah, and I also, you know. The company 0.0 that produced it and Lydia in that was uh, yeah. uh, in the film and his creative partner, I've 
been working with for the past four years. And it was, it was so interesting to, to, to be in that world. And it made me so emotional seeing her so emotional and, yeah. you know, because yeah. I just meet her in such business mm -hmm. No, ways. it was, it's, it's, it was deep and it was, yeah. um, but, at, but at the same time in a very um, interesting way that felt like, oh yeah, we're all flawed yeah. people. Yeah. Um, okay. Who were you attracted to? Anthony, Anthony Bourdain. Bourdain. Okay. Um, yeah. He was sexy and... I have to say... Say it. He aged really well. He did. I remember him taking his shirt off and the jump... I was like, I'm sorry. How old are you with that? I mean, I don't know if it was quitting smoking or... Yeah. I, I don't know what it was. Yeah. But as he got older, it was like, well... Yeah. Look at hey, you. Well, look at you, Anthony Bourdain. Um, <laughs> never noticed that accent, but go ahead. Next week, we'll watch Fruitcake Fraud. Yes, we will. <laughs> I think we're really switching it up. And this is your idea. I know, because I like the title. You brought this to the group like, hey, <laughs> I got a great idea. Well, Anthony Bourdain is so, like, you know, heavy and serious and fantastic. But uh, Fruitcake Fraud, I'm sure. Is not. <laughs> well, we don't know. I mean, clearly there's something that goes on. There's no way. There's no way either of us are going to come gonna out cry. of that crying. No. We, we don't know. Oh, and highly unlikely we'll find anyone we're attracted to. <laughs> you can watch it on Amazon Prime or Discovery Plus. Okay, before we go, do you want to do some true fan mail? Yeah. Okay, Brian B. writes... Hey, Brian B. Oh, hey, Brian B. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Tegan Cheryl. Hey. <laughs> Thank you so much for this podcast about documentaries. <laughs> I love it so much, I decided to name my new cat Snurkbowl. <laughs> when I called the vet for an appointment, the receptionist asked if it was Swedish for something and how it was spelled. Oh, my God. Swedish meatballs. <laughs> I realized I didn't know how to spell it and said, there's no way to know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh what if behind the counter she's like oh my god i listen to tig and cheryl too <laughs> she seemed to get annoyed and said call her what you want but i'm writing down snickers <laughs> <laughs> this is probably the only thing where fans would agree to call themselves something but not be sure how to spell it and that makes me even more proud to be a snark bowl with love and gratitude brian Brian, that's an incredible email. <laughs> and I have a new idea on our merchandise. Uh -huh. I say that on the back of the t-shirts, yeah. that every name says Snickers. <laughs> it's just Snickers. <laughs> the reception was just, just like, fuck it. I'm going to call it Snickers. <laughs> Your cat's name is Snickers. Now, next. <laughs> All right, listen, we love hearing your thoughts and comments, so please keep them coming. And uh, what else? I have my national tour. tour Go to tignotaro.com mm -hmm. and get your tickets it's for the Hello Again tour. On HBO. Okay. All right. That's a wrap. Well, Cheryl. Yeah? I love you very much. I love you, Tig, very much. Should we do it again? Let's do it again. 
Tig and Cheryl True Story is hosted by me, Cheryl Hines, and Tig Notaro. It's produced by Gabby Kopisich and Thomas Willette. Audio engineered and edited by Thomas Willette with music by David Susson. Special thanks to Patrick McDonald and Stephanie Allen. Follow us on social media for updates and review and rate True Story on Apple Podcasts. We really appreciate it. You can email us at Tig and Cheryl True Story at gmail.com. That was a HeadGum Podcast.